Hey everyone, my name's Nicole. I'm Brenna. I'm Reed. And this is FitClick. This is a podcast where we talk about fan fiction. Each episode, the three of us each bring a fic to discuss. This is our rec exchange episode, so they are targeted recommendations to each other, but we do have three of them, and we're excited to talk about them. So, Reed, what is your rec for this episode, and who's it for? Yes, uh, my rec this episode is Faster Love Than You and Me by Lighter Denial. Um, It is a Gideon the Ninth fic, specifically Gideon Harrow. Um, and you may have guessed it's for Brenna because Nick has not read that book. All so... the ficlets who <laughs> intimately know my reading habits. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have talked about getting it on the podcast once because it was a spoiler without context. And I think we said that Brenna and I have read it and Nick hasn't. Studious um, ficlets. Yes. I will. I'll get more into why I picked it for Brenna and all that later. Um, but first, Brenna, what was mm-hmm. your pick for Nick? Yes. My pick for Nick is called Lena Dies on a Wednesday by Kara Loves All the Girls. Uh, It is a Supergirl fic, if you didn't get that from the combo of the title and AO3 username. Um, It is a Kara Lena fic. Uh, It's got like a time loop, central, canon divergent stuff going on. Um, So yeah, I'm excited to talk about it and I hope Nick enjoyed it as well. Nick, what was your pick for Reed? So for Reed, I lovingly selected the fic Sleeping in the Shadow of an Other Self by AO3 user Nanwal. It is a fic for Critical Role Campaign 2, Essex slash Caleb, uh, known as Shadowgast to some. Um, and it is canon divergent-ish. It's in the canon verse. Very excited to talk about it. I just realized that because um, my fic is also canon divergent. So good job, squad. We all brought canon divergent fics. <laughs> we know what we're about on this podcast. <laughs> People. We're definitely not people who like canon fic. What no. are you talking about? <laughs> Where are the coffee shop AUs? <laughs> Bring not them to me. Not on this podcast. <laughs> maybe. Uh, maybe for whenever we do our next iteration of tropes we don't normally oh, bring, one of us will bring a coffee <laughs> All shop All three of AU. us are bringing coffee shop fics. <laughs> Before we get into our discussion, though, uh, we, you know, we always have to do things a little bit weird in our intro. Um we have a couple of times done a thing where the three of us will go through an AO, like a new work for AO3 and go through each category and like rapid fire create the structure of a fic. Um, and I feel like this is just sort of the next step, the next evolution of that. Uh, Nick found, uh, where did you find this? TikTok. TikTok, amazing, and not Thank the answer you. I thought that was going to be. <laughs> I know, right? Um, <laughs> Nick found on TikTok a website called Frantic Fanfic. Um, I think there are a couple different ways you can play it, but basically what we will be doing is um, individually we will all create an OTP, and then we will have one minute to write a little fic for them, and then it gets swapped to the next person and then to the next person. And then at the end, we will have three mishmashed fics that we will read to you Um we did a test run of this yesterday, and it had us all in hysterics, so I am excited and afraid, as always, to see what our little goblin minds create. I love the idea of, like, 
us creating an OTP and how much that would have pissed off like 14 year old Nicole. <laughs> like, you can't just create an OTP. Like it's a thing that exists and you have to like love them and you have to like put all this time into them. You can't just like make it up. Like, nice try past me. <laughs> I promptly seem to have forgotten every character ever. So we'll see what um, <laughs> I put down. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe for the ficlet's sake, the next, uh, three-ish minutes or whatever it is, I'll include, like, I'll include, like, four seconds of typing noises so you can understand <laughs> what we're doing, but we'll just, we'll skip to the good part, because it's just going to be a lot of typing for the next little bit. Yes. Hang okay. tight. All right. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, there was a word that I was going to change because it was bad, and then I didn't get a chance oh, to change it, so no. now there's just a space. Oh boy! So sorry, everyone. <laughs> oh my really god, we like frantic to fanfic. Though we have yeah. to title it. <sighs> Ooh, I'm not um, gonna read the rest of it before titling it. I'm just gonna title it. Yeah, me either. Um. Oh, All right, should we oh, read Honeable oh, <laughs> Turning to Middle East or the absolutely <laughs> rad story of the <laughs> patriarch? Um, okay. I think, well, for me, yeah, let, it starts, it goes Nick, Bren, me. So I think we should yeah. just go in the order. Okay. And should okay. we each read the entirety of our own story? Yeah. Why don't we, why don't we each read whatever one we started? Okay. Okay. And maybe we can chime in as the other person's re- just sort of explain who wrote what, which parts. Okay. For the Sounds ficlets. Good. All right. Ficlets. I am, I feel bad about this. I'm so sorry. Ah. I don't think anything good was done here. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and start reading the story that I started, which is called Honable, with the characters (laughs) Santa Claus and Hannibal, written by all three of us. Uh, This first section is written by me. Santa said, hey, you ho, are you going to help me deliver gifts? Hannibal said, whoa, 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 isn't it usually ho, 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 not calling me a cannibal, ho? Santa laughed merrily. No, man, I just needed to get your attention. Come on, it's Christmas Eve. I don't really celebrate Christmas, said Hannibal, which may or may not be true. I haven't seen it. I don't actually know. <laughs> That's okay, said Santa. It's about the spirit of giving. Cool, said Hannibal. Then I ran out of time. <laughs> okay, so now my co-hosts are um, reacting with emojis to the section that I wrote. Oh, yes, I had forgotten. All right, thank you. And then who wrote the second bit? Brenna. All right. I'm so. the only one who uses quotation marks. It's a pretty good identifier. <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> no, I used them in some. I just didn't oh. use it in this because Nick hadn't started I using didn't. them. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I just, it's it instinctively. Anyway. Okay. Uh-huh. Brenna added to that with, then I'm ready to help. Thanks, said Santa. What do you think good presents for all the children of the world would be this year? I think human body parts would be great, said Hannibal enthusiastically. He was starting to really see the benefit of this whole Christmas thing. Hmm, said Santa. (laughs) That's not exactly what I usually do, but maybe it's time to go in a new direction. (laughs) Wow, amazing. Thanks, Brenna. I'm reacting real quick. (laughs) You're so welcome. I'm going to finish out the story with what Reed wrote, uh, which is, I know exactly the right people to help me with this. Hold on, Santa said. Then, with a wave of his hand, a group of eight, SOS, it's eight, right? Boys (laughs) appeared. Thanks, Reed. I couldn't remember. (laughs) Hello, stray kids. Are you ready to help me collect human body parts so Hannibal and I can give them out for Christmas? Uh, like real body parts, said Chan. Santa tapped his chin thoughtfully. Well, I don't know. What were you thinking, Hannibal? I think they should be real. It's much less fun if they aren't, Hannibal said, pouting. (laughs) <clears throat> Yuck, said Felix. No, thank you. 
that's worse than snow, said Han. <laughs> the end. The end. What a good cohesive story. Wow. I loved it. I gave that a heart and a star emoji react. Thank you. Yeah. I gave thanks it so much. Fire Rude. laughing star. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, that was my story. Uh, next mm-hmm. up, I imagine it's Brenna. Yeah. So next up is my story. It's called Journey to Middle Earth. It stars Frodo and BTS Jin. Um, the first short part is written by me. Um, then read, then Nick, and I'll indicate when those changes happen. So it begins. Wow, where am I? Asked BTS Jin, looking around at the barren landscape. Hey, BTS Jin, said a small man standing next to him. You're in Middle Earth. Wow, we're so excited to have you here. Can you sing something for us? Yes, of course, said famed singer BTS. Mm, I didn't get the chance to write Jin because I forgot how to type. Um, okay, this next part is by Reed, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, do you do you want to give us a rendition of this, Reed? I don't. It's all you. Maybe this is I your don't story want to read. You, you can just you can just say it. You can just say it without um, singing it. Bultorole, fire, sang Jin. Fire, no, said another small man who Jin explicably knew was Samwise Gamgee. Not fire, good sir. Fire's what's on Mordor, and we hate Mordor. Only we're trying to go there, said Sam, very distraught. Oh yes, I was so distracted by your beautiful visage that I forgot. I need to, st- I need to throw this into a volcano, said Frodo, pulling out a ring. My precious! <laughs> okay, let me react to this really quick. Oh yes, I forgot to react to the first part. Let me oh, I, I reacted quite a lot. Okay, f- finishing up with Nick's part. Yelled Smeagol, question mark, question mark, the tiny L-O-T-R freak. <laughs> Jin gaped. What is this bizarre little creature? Oh, that's just Gollum, said Frodo. I remember the name now, sorry. <laughs> Jin was a little confused, but willing to roll with it. If you want, I can hide the ring in my pocket. My fans would never let anyone hurt me, so if he tried to steal it, they... If he tried to steal it, then that tiny creature would get ripped to literal shreds of flesh. Oh boy, Frodo said. <laughs> Samwise. I'm sorry. I don't know about Lord of the Rings. Oh no. Oh boy, Frodo said. Samwise McGee, question mark, question mark, smiled. That sounds good to me. Okay, said Jin, got army right behind us. Samwise McGee. I knew it was wrong, but I didn't have time to go back and look. Oh my god, that is so funny. Ooh. Wow. wow. <laughs> that was pretty good. And lastly, we have uh, the story that I started, which I titled The Absolutely Rad Story of the Yeeling Patriarch, which is a spinoff of The Absolutely True Story of the Yeeling Patriarch, a manifesto mm-hmm. in many parts. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Crushed it. By AO3 user Aubrey Lee. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, uh, the characters are Wei Wuxian, Scott McCall, um, and the writers in order are me, Nick, and then Brenna. So starting with my part. Dude, are you okay? A loud voice resonated from above Wei Wuxian. He sat up, rubbing the back of his head. What happened? And who are you? I'm Scott McCall, said apparently Scott McCall. I'm a werewolf, but don't worry about that. You just appeared here, dropping down from the sky. Are you good? Wei Wuxian looked around him, surprised to find himself in a forest. I'm not sure. Have you seen Long Wenji? Except it's LWJ because I ran out of time. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, Nick's part. Scott scratched his head. I don't know who that is. I'm so sorry. I can help you find him, though. No, it's okay, said Wei Wuxian. Are you a teen? I used to be a teen wolf, Scott said, but he's not anymore. Wei Wuxian shrugged. Good enough for me. Do you know why I fell from the sky? You're probably an angel, Scott answered coyly. Wei Wuxian almost blushed, but didn't. More like a devil, he smarmed. 
<laughs> Scott was taken aback, but deeply intrigued. Uh, and this last part by Brenna. Wow, I've met a lot of mythical creatures during my time as a teen wolf, but I've never met a devil before, said Scott. Do you like pizza? I don't know what that is, said Weiwushian. Uh, dude, exclaimed Scott, we gotta get you some, and some garlic. You can have garlic, right? Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I, I wrote garlic knots, and then I had some questionable thoughts about using certain terminology in a fic that's also about werewolves, and mm-hmm. I went back to change it, and then I only got around deleting the word before my time ran out. I gotta but, get you some garlic. <laughs> I like this implication because it means that Scott thinks that uh, Wei Wuxian abides by the same rules as vampires. Right. Uh, yeah, which well, is that fun. is what I wanted the last question to imply. I was going to go further with it, but um, I was definitely the slowest typer out of the three of us. So I liked what you came up with, though. Small but powerful. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> okay, now we have to proceed oh, to wait, a bonus I forgot to vote. react to some of these. Hang on. Oh, yeah, react, please. Um... All right, I submitted all my votes rapid fire. Okay, I voted mine too. <laughs> oh, wow. We had to vote for like the deepest story well, and the best title and stuff, Figlets. Good thing we apparently have 110 minutes to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Reed, you're the winner. Oh my Congratulations. God. Your story you. got first place and you were the top writer. Thank you. I Yes, I won the awards most titillating title and the Mariana's <laughs> Trench, Mariana's Trench, whatever it is. Uh-huh. And Brenna's fic got personal favorite. I got paid dust by my co-hosts, as always. I voted for yours for my personal favorite. <laughs> oh, thank you. Um, I voted for I yours voted for best for title. I just voted for Reads for best oh. title and um, deepest Yeah, meaning. me too. <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you so much. Really <laughs> if I could have voted honored. for my own, I would have, but I couldn't, so yeah, I did vote for Reads. Well, Ficklets, thank you for joining us on that journey. I forgot we were recording. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we definitely do want to bring this game to the server at some point. It'd be very fun to play with all of you. So keep keep your eyes peeled. Get some thoughts churning about what wretched OTPs you could put into this generator. In Nick's collaborative fanfiction, uh, Hannibal wants to give all the children in the world human body parts. In the fic that Reed brought for me this week, um, there's a lot of bones. <laughs> Uh-huh. <laughs> boning, if you will. Yeah, oh boy, <laughs> there are, there is both actually. Uh huh. Yes. So as mentioned in the beginning, my fic that I chose for Brenna is "Faster Love Than You and Me" by Lighter Denial. A fic for the Lock Tomb series, specifically for Gideon the Ninth, which is the first book, and the pairing is Gideon Harrow. I said a little bit of this in our outro for last episode, but um, I had looked through a lot of different fandoms for Brenna, um, a lot of different fics, and this one was kind of in the back of my brain because uh, Brenna had read this book and just lost her gourd over it and was like desperately trying to get Nick and I to read it. Um, And I am not someone who normally likes gore or body horror or any of that kind of thing. So I was like, I don't know. But Brenna was like so wild for it and like (laughs) so unhinged, specifically in one time that we were hanging out um, where she was like, I want to scream about the ending of this book so badly, but I also don't because if you ever read it, like the twist is worth it. And I was like, okay, this passion, I must know where it comes from. Uh, I read the book. I also promptly lost my gourd. Uh, It was phenomenal. So I thought it would be fun to bring this. Um... I only looked for getting the ninth specific fic because I have not read Harrow yet. Um, and also, 
The canon of the books is pretty complex and confusing. Um, and since Nick has not read Gideon, I thought I thought it'd be helpful to bring a fic with sort of maybe the least amount of canon while still being canon, uh, because Brenna does love a canon adjacent, compliant, divergent, etc. fic. That said, I definitely think you need to have some context to read this fic. I do not think it is very readable without at least a little bit of knowledge. Um, so I did give some to Nick. Uh, they can weigh in on how effective that was. Uh, but this is my heads up to you ficlets that I will be spoiling a lot of the Gideon the Ninth book. Um, even though this fic is canon divergent like from a very, very, very early point in the book, it does reference a lot of canonical things. And I think having a decent amount of canon knowledge is helpful going in. So I'm going to provide that context. However, if you have any inclination to read this book series, skip this discussion. This is your guilt-free, go, go, come back to this in the future. And even if that's like six months from now, like that, Gideon the Ninth is such a good book and specifically like its plot twists and its reveals are so phenomenal and so worth it to like not be spoiled for. Um, so if you have like even the smallest thought that you might read this book someday, just skip to the next conversation. Okay, I'll see y'all in the Supergirl combo. Okay. <laughs> Bye, Nick. Bye. Before I get into the sort of uh, canon context that you need to know, I am going to give the content warnings for both this fic and canon, I guess. Um, so, as I said, this fic is pretty referential to canonical events, which means that there are references to childhood abuse and neglect. Um, the whole book is about necromancy and sort of the trappings of that as a major theme in the book um, shows up in the fic as well. Uh, there are references to some pretty upsetting canonical events. This fic doesn't get too, too deep into any of that, but, like, it is very much shaped by the canon it is written about, so just know that going in. Okay, I'm gonna do my best to, like, speed run Gideon the Ninth as a book and specifically what you need to know for this discussion. Um, when I asked Brenna for advice on what to give Nick uh, for a summary, Brenna said, <laughs> They are two lads who are canonically women. They are named Gideon and Harrow. That's where we start. They live on Ninth House, which is a planet um, within the system that all is under the Emperor Undying, who is, like, the Necromancer Supreme. Necrolord Supreme? Whatever. Um, the Ninth House is very bad. Uh, the time that the book starts, it is, like, withered away to almost nothing. Um, it's populated mostly by skeletons, uh, a couple of old people, and Gideon and Harrow, uh, who are roughly the same age. Gideon is like 20 and Harrow is like 18 at the start of the book. Um, Gideon crash landed on the planet as a baby and basically became like uh, an indentured servant to the house. Uh, she was treated incredibly poorly by everyone there, including Harrow and especially Harrow. Um, there is like one character who is not necessarily nice to Gideon, but not mean to her all the time, that is the best she gets. Uh, she lives in really poor conditions, hates it, hates the Ninth House. Um, there is a thing called the Cohort, which is basically the interplanetary military uh, of this world. Um, and Gideon's goal in life is to escape from Ninth House and go join the Cohort. Uh, Gideon is very buff and she's very good with her big sword. And so she's like, I want to go be in the Cohort and not live on this garbage planet with this garbage person. I hate Harrow so much. Um, Gideon has tried to escape, like, almost a hundred times, um, and this is where the fic gets divergent, um, because, spoilers for the book, Gideon does not escape, and in fact, goes on a whole other journey, but in this fic, it assumes that actually on her 90th attempt, she does make it out, um, and she does join the cohort, and this fic picks up five years later, where, uh, her ship receives a distress call from Ninth House, from Harrow specifically, saying that they're, like, 
supply of oxygen is depleting. Um, so she has to go back for the first time. I think we'll probably get into the other canon-relevant stuff as it comes up in discussion of the fic itself, but uh, the only other thing to know is that um, this is called the Locked Tomb series, and specifically it's because the Locked Tomb is a thing that the Ninth House protects, and they are very, like, they've built a religion around it. Um, they have a whole prayer that they repeat that's like, don't, like, the, the stone must not be rolled away. Uh, <laughs> don't fuck with the tomb, y'all. <laughs> keep the tomb locked. Um, but, uh, once again, beep, 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 spoilers, um, when Harrow was a kid, she went into the tomb, saw what was there, um, it was very bad, it had some, well, it had some bad consequences for, like, her family, and Gideon caught her, it was a whole big thing, it was, like, a whole big traumatic point of their childhood, there's a lot of trauma in their childhood, just a lot of trauma all around, uh, but yes, the locked tomb is sort of, like, uh, it houses, supposedly, the thing that could kill God, like, the Emperor Undying, um, so that's what the ninth house is meant to protect, but it is just a dying planet and is a miserable place to be. Uh, yeah, I really, really liked this fic. Uh, I just absolutely loved Gideon as a character reading her. And so it was very fun to be in Gideon's POV for this fic. I thought this author embodied her really well. Like I said, I enjoyed finding something like canon divergent, um, both because I knew Brenna would like it and also it's something that like I really like. I think with a book series like this, it can be very hard to write fic. But I think the way that this author chose to sort of incorporate canon but go on a different route was really clever. Um, yeah, there are a lot of, like, references to stuff that happens in canon that I thought were very fun, like, a very enjoyable, like, if you've read this series, like, you are going to know the significance of this type of thing. Uh, yeah, I liked it. Um, I am excited to hear what my co-host thought, and specifically Brenna, since I picked this for you. That's me. Yes, Reed. I really enjoyed it. As you mentioned, I did go out of my gourd upon reading Gideon the Ninth. Um, I like really had been in a place where I hadn't been reading a lot of books for like a couple years between like college and like last year, honestly. Um, and I picked up like a couple things before I read Gideon. But Gideon was, like, the first book I'd picked up in a long time that made me be like, oh, shit, like, this is why people really love books. Like, this is what a book can be. <laughs> um I think, like, I know a lot of friends, not necessarily, like, ficlets, but just, like, in uh, various spaces, um, who did not enjoy Gideon or weren't really able to get into it. So I do think it's kind of a hit or miss book for people. I think if you're able to get into it, like, get a few chapters in, like, get to kind of where the main plot takes off and you don't feel too, like, lost in what's happening, it's an excellent read. But I also can completely understand why it's not for everyone. And, like, the narrative style... It doesn't give you a lot of, like, exposition right off the bat. You're with the characters, and it is confusing. I like that. I like being along with for the ride with people in books and other media. So it really worked for me. It catered to so many of my interests. Um, yeah, so much of what the books did are, like, things that I love. So, yes, huge fan of Gideon, huge fan of Harrow, both the books and the characters. Um so yeah, I have read a little bit of fic for like the Lock Tomb series, but not a lot. So this was really fun. I when I was like trying to think about what fandoms Reed was gonna bring for me, this did not cross my mind for some reason. So it was it was a genuine surprise, which was really fun. Um yeah, like I said, obviously I love these characters and I love like the world that Tamsinir built for this. So it was fun to be in that world, even if we weren't necessarily directly in the canon events of the book. Um I thought it was a creative take on 
what else could have happened and like different directions it could have gone. It was fun to see it spin off right from the beginning. Like there's a lot of points where you could have had divergence in this book. Um, I thought it was interesting to have one so early on. Um, And then for the fic to also still reference canon so much in various ways, I thought was like, I thought that was handled well by the author. Um, Yeah. Gideon, love her, love her as a character. She's so enjoyable to read. And so it was fun to be in her POV here, like Reed said, and I do think the author did a really good job with her. I think for me, like, a lot of the fun that I had with this fic was simply being with the characters and, like, being in this world that I love so much um, and getting to see kind of a different take on, like, what could have happened. I will say, like, for any of my ficlets, my ficlets, for any <laughs> ficlets out there uh, who have read Harrow, all canon divergent fics do remind me of redacted scene from Harrow. But that's not for this pod. That's just between me and any of you who know what I'm talking about. Um... So, yeah, that, that that was also kind of fun for me, but I'm not really going to get into it here because it's not relevant to my co-hosts. And also, big spoilers for Harrow, if either of them want to read it. <laughs> Should I say if I liked it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, Ficklets who have not read Gideon the Ninth. Um, as Reed said, I wouldn't say it's the easiest piece of fan fiction to orient yourself within <laughs> um it wasn't terrible um, i definitely was able to kind of keep up with what was happening and also use some of my trademark lackadaisical go with the flow energy to float through like a little leaf on a river so that worked out for me i think i really liked the sort of feminine rage that was happening here um not even feminine necessarily just like two women who get so angry in each other's presence and are remembering times when they've like scuffled and like tried to rip each other's hair out or like scratching each other or, like biting each other like the feral energy of it i'm kind of obsessed with um ficlets and co-hosts alike you may know that oftentimes in media women are not like that so (laughs) (laughs) i really liked it it was very fresh and fun and it made me want to read gideon even more um, than brenna telling me over and over for (laughs) many months now (laughs) has made me want to i will winter break it's on my list you don't have to i'm not going to be offended if you don't or if you you start it and like don't aren't into it but I will do I'll it. be sad, but I yeah. won't be offended. It's okay. I feel obligated, so I will. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. Wow, okay. So sorry. Uh, no, just a little joke. No, honestly, this fic made me want to read it a lot more. Um, and it was already on my list, so I'm bumping it up. Yeah, I think it was a lot of fun. Uh, I really liked the canon divergent newly formed backstory that we get from Gideon I think the author did a good job of relaying all of the necessary information about what Gideon had been up to while still grounding the story very much in Ninth House and her reunion with Harrow and everything that they get up to and the feelings that they share and the 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 bond the enemies to lovers can't live with them can't live without them energy as many of you are familiar with I really mostly read Enemies to Lovers for the podcast, so (laughs) I get a curated selection. And I enjoyed it here. I thought it was fun. I can see how the dynamic is probably even more intense in like a full-length novel with stuff going on. So yeah, enjoyable. Um, I was saying, I literally have like, I don't know if they were in character. I don't know if the references make sense. Like I was just in it so if you're feeling like you want to read about feral women honestly like go for it good good luck maybe reed's intro helped a little bit but like honestly i say just go for it too yeah it's funny that you say enemies to lovers because you're not wrong especially in this fic you're not wrong 
But in the books, it's like enemies to bodyguard AU to beep, 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 beep. And like the beeps are not even like, oh, I'm redacting things for spoilers. It's like a bunch of question marks. Um, I don't know what you call it when someone is like undyingly devoted to you, but also <laughs> you still kind of want to punch each other in the throat. Can we go back yeah. to the bodyguard AU thing? Why did literally yeah. nobody tell me this ever? We definitely have. You know, no that's way. Like, that, it's a good point that we have not fixated on that maybe enough to convince Nick to read that this been, That's That's my gateway. <laughs> that's me going in immediately. So kind of going back to like what I was saying about undying devotion, um, I think one of the things that this author really nailed in the Gideon POV is the very canonical back and forth that Gideon has where she oscillates between like absolutely hating Harrow with every fiber of her being and then also being fascinated with her. Like even in the moments where like Gideon is really like mad at Harrow or doesn't understand what's going on, which is most of the book um, or whatever, it's like she'll be staring at Harrow and she'll be like thinking about how mad she is. And then she'll like have a line like noting like, but how like sharp Harrow's presence is in a way that's not like it's okay. Every single thing that Gideon does is um, tinged by the fact that she's a giant lesbian. Um, she frequently is just like, wow, <laughs> yeah. women hot, women hot. Um, canonically so gay. Canonically so gay. <laughs> and I also think this author nailed it. The fact that you like get introduced to the Gideon of this fic and she's like, I want to meet God and I hope he has a bunch of hot women around him who will <laughs> like that I am a decorated captain. <laughs> like yeah. fucking absolutely. Anyway, but I think in the in the book, the way it presents itself is so like they're they're inextricably linked. Like, Gideon and Harrow always are destined to, like, navigate around one another and to, like, orbit around one another. But it is such a push and pull of this, like, I cannot fucking stand you. You are my mortal enemy. And also, like, I'm fascinated by you and drawn to you in a way I cannot, like, I don't understand. I do feel like a lot of that dynamic made it into this fic as well, even though it took such a different path from canon. Yeah, I think, like, Gideon and Harrow is such an interesting pairing to me. Like, I felt very compelled by them in the book, but not always necessarily in a, like, I need you two to kiss and, like, get together romantically sort of way. It's more exactly what Reed was saying about this, like, constantly being drawn together and, like, kind of, they're the only person that either of them have sort of any reference to in this world. Like, they're very alone in it, um, except for each other. And, like, that makes for a fascinating dynamic, especially as throughout the book they start to kind of share more with each other and, like, open up a little bit more or at least, like, go through more shared experiences as well that aren't, well, they're pretty traumatic, but, you know. <laughs> um, <laughs> bonding, baby. Um, this time it's trauma that they experience together and not trauma at the hands of one another. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Mostly. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do think it's interesting because, like, this fic does very much include them getting together in a, like, romantic and sexual way. Not bad. I just feel like, for me, the emotional side of any, like, Gideon and Harrow fic is, like, what I'm there for more. Like, that's the part that I'm like, obsessed with in the books. And I think something that's really interesting, and I was kind of thinking about this last night, is, like, it is a ship occupies such a kind of singular place for me because so often it's either like I'm shipping something that's completely not gonna happen in canon like there's not even a chance like whatever fan fandom's doing all the work and the creators are willfully ignorant about it <laughs> um or I'm reading it for something that like there is some ground to it whether or not it's like gonna happen in canon but like you know it's like there's a lot of content there and like we feel like it's going in a certain direction. 
Gideon Harrow, like, I have no fucking clue what's going to happen in the next two books. It could be absolutely anything. Like, I have no idea how it's going to end for either of them. Like, not even are they going to be together, but, like, are they going to be around? I don't know. Like, it could go anywhere, which is one of the reasons I'm, like, obsessed with the series. But it does, like, make the fic that I go looking for, like, occupy kind of an interesting space because I feel like what I'm looking for is not necessarily, like, getting together fic always. It's, like, just whatever someone has done that's cool and interesting with the world because, like, I have no idea what to expect from the characters in canon in terms of, like, their relationship. It could go anywhere. We don't know. I don't know, at least. Maybe other people have more solidly defined ideas of what's going to happen, but not me, because I thought I knew it was going to happen in Harrow, and I did not. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, but that's all to say, like, I think the parts that really hit for me in this fic were the more, like, emotional sides of things and some of their conversations, like, about the sort of hurt that they've been holding on to about each other over these years. Um, And, like, in the interim, I thought that all worked really well because, yeah, it's Gideon coming back to the ninth house, a place that she never expected to be again, and, like, having to reckon with not only, like, what she left behind, which is mostly Harrow, but also, like, realizing that Harrow may have had emotions about Gideon leaving, which I don't think Gideon ever fucking considered. Um, So those conversations I really enjoyed and I think were like my favorite sort of emotional beats in the story. Yeah, I think one thing I really liked was the the whole first chapter, I think probably was my favorite of the three. Fun fic overall, but I really liked the setup. And I think the thing I liked most about it was that we caught these tiny glimmers of residual singular obsession from both of them but it was still so couched in this like fury and rage and pettiness Gideon thinking about how it must have felt for Harrow to hear that Captain Nav that's Gideon was gonna come and rescue the ninth or whatever do repairs on the ninth whatever it was like fix their thing so they don't all die and how Harrow must have been so mad to hear that it was Gideon who had to come and save her, but then Harrow gets the upper hand in a bunch of their conversations initially because Gideon is trying not to lose her shit at being instigated. There's so much there, and it's such like a tricky conversational balance and a tricky emotional balance, and I really liked the tension that was set up initially between the two of them. Uh, Like I said, I don't know what happens in the book. I I imagine from what I've heard, that's a big part of it. (laughs) But I really liked the way that this author did that. And one way I really liked was sort of the tension between them snipping at each other and Gideon not being able to stop thinking about how she was seeing Harrow without face paint for the first time in like a billion years Mm -hmm. and the vulnerability of that. And, oh, she's hot. (laughs) Uh Oh, that's not good for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, like that was so, I just really liked that a lot of the stuff that was happening to break at the tension was sort of unspoken. The face paint, the alcohol, (laughs) Harrow getting just wasted on vodka from Gideon's flask. Um, There was so much there that I really liked, and I think it was really cleverly executed, but especially at the start when they were like, hmm... Gideon thought she made it without blowing her or like losing her cool and then her ship was like hey see you in 48 hours girl (laughs) she was like excuse me (laughs) which is like so thick and such a fun trope Um, and I think it did what it needed to do in this case 
Yeah, I do love just like a classic fic trope. The like, because Gideon's like, okay, fixed your like air leak problem. Bye. See you literally never, Harrow. And then her <laughs> yeah. her ship is like, I'll see Harrow for forty eight more hours. <laughs> um, skipping ahead a little bit, I think the like emotional climax of this fic is when. Gideon and Harrow get into a saltwater pool so Harrow can reveal all of her deep, dark, Mm -hmm. terrible secrets. Um, Mm -hmm. If you've read the book, you will know that there is a pivotal pool scene that... Gordless. Gordless. Pool scene. Pool scene. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I am going to avoid going into it too much on the hopes that Nick will... Nick has already been spoiled, obviously, for some (laughs) stuff, but like I do still think it'll hit stronger if, if Brenna and I do not detail every single bit of it. The point of which to say is that in canon, Harrow and Gideon get into a saltwater pool because it's sort of like a tradition that Harrow's mom had of like sharing information of this sort. Like you get into saltwater. Harrow says a whole bunch of things. I shrieked, etc. And that gets mirrored very, very closely in this fic. Like they get into a saltwater pool and Harrow shares some of the same secrets. But also this is when Harrow basically is like, Gideon, you are the only thing I've ever cared about. And like really gets into why Gideon leaving the planet like hurt her so much. Um, And she asks Gideon if Gideon will take Harrow with her off planet. Like when Gideon leaves, like Harrow basically is like the ninth house is dying and I'm going to die with it. Like take me off planet with you. Um, and there's a bunch of stuff there that I know Brent and I both want to get into. But the thing that I was thinking about is, like, there are some lines in the fic that are, like, Gideon knew that, like, all Harrow had to do was ask, like, all these years and she'd only ever wanted one thing, Harrow to ask, and Gideon would be right there. Um, and it actually made me think about a couple of episodes ago, I talked about Gideon the Ninth, not that it was relevant at all for what we were discussing, but I was talking <laughs> about a, a mortifying text I had sent Brenna, whatever. If you want to know that, go find whatever episode the spoiler out of, out of context mm-hmm. is with I where I text Brenna. You can go hear that later. But the thing that I was texting Brenna about was, like, where Harrow asks Gideon for this, like, just overwhelming text. Like, she asks everything of Gideon, basically. Um, And Gideon says yes. And Harrow's like, why? Because you asked. That's all it takes, Griddle. That's all you demand. This is the complex mystery that lies in the pit of your psyche. That's all I ever demanded, you asswipe. Um, That is what I texted Brenna about. And I was like, rattle, 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 rattle. I'm unhinged. (laughs) And I was thinking about it reading this scene because it, it really is so true. It's like... Gideon doesn't need these, like, grand declarations from Harrow. I mean, it helps, especially helping fill in the info that she doesn't know. But she wants the little things. She wants the the recognition of her humanity, the recognition of what their relationship actually is and not Harrow trying to power trip over her all the time. Um, yeah. Ugh, gordless. Yeah, I think before that, like, one of my favorite scenes that kind of sets up and, like, allows for, I think, those moments in, like, the pool is when Gideon learns that Iglamine, who was the person who taught her, like, all of her swordsmanship and all of that kind of stuff, and was, like, her kind of trainer and, like, almost, like, captain on the ninth for a long time, um, has passed away since Gideon left. And Gideon's, like, pretty upset about this because Iglamine is, like, the only person who even maybe treated her like human um, on the ninth. Uh, and Harrow is kind of like, well, like, what the fuck did you expect? Like, you left... Like, was I supposed to, like, send a letter to the cohort? Like, what Like what do you want from me? You didn't even leave me a note, like, saying you were gone. And Gideon's like, yeah, I tried to escape 90 times. You think I was going to, like, leave you a note? <laughs> but I think, like, that's, like, the first kind of break that we see where, like, they both start to exhibit, like, these more real emotions. And I thought that was a nice way to set it up without being necessarily directly about Gideon and Harrow's relationship first, but about their sort of... but. 
kind of put someone that they both had a relationship with like in the middle mm. to allow for this like beginning of a conversation and some of these emotions to be expressed because they're not actually talking about each other they're talking about a glamine but like they are talking about each other um so yeah I really like that I think that scene really hit well for me and like and again like one of the parts that I think you kind of need to be able to write Gideon is this combo of like her kind of outward bravado and like Muscles. I'm hot and I'm buff yeah. and I have a big sword but then her like deep insecurities about the fact that like no one has ever liked her or like treated her well um so I think like the combo of those things like are kind of what makes her a compelling character um, life yeah 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 <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So I liked how this fic kind of used her relationship with Iglamine and like the loss of that to kind of begin to open up a dialogue between her and Harrow. Yes, I like the pool scene. Yeah, I was going to say the pool scene was very interesting as someone who had no context because they're like talking and then Harrow's like, we need salt water. And I'm like, pardon me. (laughs) I was very confused. Um, and then they get up to shenanigans in the pool and I was more confused because I was like, it's salt water. But, you know, <laughs> I'm glad to hear that um, uh-huh. it has significance in the source text because, honestly, that's probably the thing that confused me the most in this fic. I was like, why are they doing this? Yeah, that's I don't fair. understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I do know that Gideon the Ninth and Harrow, by extension, are books about necromancy. I don't mm-hmm. know a ton about the actual functioning of necromancy in the world. This fic didn't get into the specifics about it very much. But one thing I really liked was um, Harrow's consistent uh, distaste for Gideon's flesh necromancer on her ship. Um, which I wasn't sure if the flesh necromancy is weak and pathetic is like part of the world building in the actual book series or not. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was fun that we got both the little glimmer of, is there a hierarchy of necromancy magic in the series or in this fic? And then also, obviously, Harrow being what we can only assume to be seethingly jealous at the fact that Gideon went and got a new necromancer after leaving Harrow behind, despite the fact that, you know, Harrow was um, not the nicest to her while she was there and tried to stop her from leaving a lot of times um, not necessarily out of love you could probably say no <laughs> no this no. whole thing is like i will die with my planet like i will do anything for the ninth house so i think uh-huh. it's understandable maybe that gideon did not think to take harrow off planet with her no yeah yeah i just really liked also, that yeah like harrow did not exactly give off wow i need saving vibes <laughs> <laughs> yeah um nick in reference to what you were saying uh, I don't know that there's a hierarchy of necromancers so much. Um, there's definitely a hierarchy of houses. It it kind of goes okay. like the second house is the one that kind of like they've got the most notable people in the cohort. Like they're they're the military house. They're the most like prolific. It's like the Hunger Games. It is. I mean, it's not entirely. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> like it's it's like the Hunger Games, but if um like if districts one through eleven were all pretty close together, and then district twelve they kind of forgot existed. Like, not even, well, like, oh, District like, 12 is bad. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's not too far off. Because it's District 13. Well, sure. But, like, the ninth House, literally no one knows what the fuck is going on with them versus, like, every other planet at least, okay. like, communicates whatever. Anyway, the point being, necromancy manifests in a lot of different ways. Like, people have different specialties. So, like, Harrow's thing is bones. She's very good at it. She, she makes so many skeletons. Wow. Good for her. Other people do other things. But I think, uh, canonically in the book, Harrow is kind of, like necromancy is clearly the superior necromancy and it's like yeah of course you'd say that harrow like megalomania yeah. i love it 
Well, well and just like with everything else, like some necromancers are a lot stronger than others. It's not necessarily based on their discipline, more just like their own ability. So that also plays in with like Caro and the whole thing Hero's that her parents strong. did to create her. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I think that is going to do it for our discussion on faster love than you and me. Um, I think a very enjoyable fic if you have read Gideon, um, and as Nick said, maybe also an enjoyable fic if you haven't, but you just want to see women being absolutely fucking unhinged, um, which is something I want to witness at all times always. Yeah, I really like the way that this author chose to um, divert from canon, but also really lean into it. Um, as I said, the Gideon POV was delightful, and I think this author like really nailed the the crux of Gideon Harrow and their very strange relationship. Um, no crux pun intended for those of you <laughs> who have read the books. Anyway, um, I had a really good time with this. Bren, I am delighted to have surprised you and also that you enjoy the fic as well. Um, mm-hmm. Ficlets, I hope you enjoyed this discussion. For a book about necromancy, my fic actually didn't have very much death in it at all. Um, On the other hand, Brenna's fic, there's so much death. In fact, Lena dies every single Wednesday. Brenna, take us into your fic. Yes, I would be delighted to. Yes, so my fic is called Lena Dies on a Wednesday by Kara Loves All the Girls. Um, Like I mentioned, this is a fic for the TV show Supergirl. Um, Unlike Reed's choice, where canon knowledge very much needed, and also, like, Reed and I had canon knowledge, uh, none of us know anything about Supergirl as a TV show. I didn't know anything reading this fic, so I really can't give you a whole lot of <laughs> canon context. I'll tell you a little bit about like the setting of this fic, but like, I got nothing for you in terms of canon, and I do think it's quite readable without anything. So, <laughs> um, yeah, this is a time loop fic. Lena is trapped in the same day over and over and over again, which happens to be a Wednesday, and she dies every time. Um, I chose this partially on a joke because I was like, Nick, help. I don't know what fandom <laughs> to bring you fic for. Like, I know what your big current fandoms are, but like, you've read everything good in them and like, I'm not really in them as much. So like, how can I find something new and good for you? And Nick sent me a screenshot that was like a Google search of like, where to watch Supergirl. <laughs> and I was like, oh, great. That could actually work because like, Nick loves superhero fic. And like, I thought this had a lot of tropes that I know Nick enjoys. Um, I don't know a lot about the ship of Lena and Kara, so I wasn't as invested in, like, the getting-togetherness here, um, but I thought it did a lot of cool things with the tropes that it employs, um, and it was just, like, an enjoyable take on time loop that I hadn't really seen before, while also including a lot of the hallmarks of, like, superhero fic and, like, identity stuff um, with, like, Kara and being Supergirl and Lena not knowing and all of that good superhero energy. So, yeah. Content warnings for this fic are kind of just what's in this fic. Again, I don't know if any of this is, like, canon-ish or, like, canon-typical. <laughs> I can't tell you that. So uh, for this, it is, like, major character death. I've kind of already mentioned Lena dies a lot. There's also a lot of other people who die in these instances. A lot of them tend to be attacks not just against her, but, like, against many people. Um, so, yeah, death and violence, big one, and, like, kind of vague terrorism stuff going on. We don't have, like... That's not really delved into as much, but there is, like, an organization that's kind of responsible for targeting Lena throughout this. Um, So those would be, like, my content warnings for it. Uh, 
So one last thing before I turn it over to my co-hosts, which is I've kind of mentioned that this does a few cool things with the time loop aspect. One of them we realize at the end, so I'm going to save that for a little bit later in our discussion, but one you realize quite early on, which is I feel like oftentimes in time loop fic, your POV character is the one who is aware of the loop. In this fic, that is not the case. Lena is our POV character and she does not know this is happening. She just keeps waking up and keeps getting killed. And Kara is the one who is aware that it's a loop and is trying to stop it. So I thought that was a really neat twist and just added in a lot of room for elements I hadn't seen before in time loop fic. Um, So yeah, I definitely want to get into that part more, but I thought I'd mention that uh, as sort of a precursor to our discussion. But anyway, that's enough of me talking. Nick, what did you think of this fic? Oh, time for me to talk. Hey, ficlets. I hope you're doing well. I liked this fanfiction. Um, I was very honored that Brenna chose it for me. I did text the screenshot of where to watch Supergirl. Because <laughs> really, like, I feel like I'm at a point where fandoms I'm currently in, I have done so much scouring that like, I generally am the wreck dealer um, to people. I do a lot of hunting on my own time, as you do. So I thought it made sense to approach a fandom that I'm not really in because I feel like there's so much untapped potential in the world in general. Um, and I wanted to read something, I don't know, something new, something kind of fresh, something I wasn't expecting. So this totally worked as a fandom. Um, the ship, I believe, called Supercorp. Is that right? Because oh, it's Supergirl and yeah, yeah, yeah. Luther Corporation. I have seen that before. I did not know that's I know. what it referred to, but I have seen that. I know about that. these things. Yeah. Yeah, I think technically I have seen one episode of Supergirl in my life, but it was many years ago, like right when it came out. So it's been quite a long time and I don't remember much of what actually happens in the show. So totally fine. Like Brenna said, I think it's super readable without that context. Really, you just need to know that Cara Danvers is Supergirl. Not really a spoiler. That's the p- premise of the whole show. And that Lena is part of like the Luther Corporation and is a high-powered boss lady. And also um, that they're best friends, but Lena does not know that Kara is Supergirl. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I feel like that's actually a pretty decent base context. And then you just roll with whatever else happens. The fic does a decent job of orienting you and keeping you Uh, with what's happening and the main premise of the plot is not directly related to an episode as far as I know so it's like our original plot that we just kind of roll with Uh, like Brenna alluded time loop is definitely one of my favorite tropes I think that it's so fun and you can do so many things with it I've talked about it on the pod before Um, so go listen to that if you want to hear me say more good good luck I don't know what episode it was (laughs) just go (laughs) find it somewhere yeah scavenger hunt um, but it's definitely a really, really top favorite of mine. That and like time travel, anything with messing around with the flow of time in some kind of a fantastical way or a really grounded absurdist way. I don't know. Things things I like. So yeah, that was enjoyable. I thought the ship was fun. Uh, I really liked, like Brenna said, that our POV character or narrator didn't fully know what was going on. So I think it actually allowed the author to do a lot of emotional work without bogging down the story itself because we get so much of Kara's emotional reactions through a really diverted lens. So we see her grief and her overwhelm and her struggle with trying to save Lena every single day, but we don't see it from her POV. So it's easier to take in as a reader and be able to keep moving through the story as opposed to feeling really stuck in it. Which, you know, sometimes you want to be stuck in it. That's angst, baby. But sometimes you just want to keep going. So I like that choice a lot. Yeah, I have more to say about it. But those are my overall strongest impressions, I guess, of this fic. 
Thanks, Brenna, for picking it for me. You're welcome. Yeah, I also enjoyed this fic. Um, I feel like for the reasons that my co-hosts have said, like I think it did some really interesting stuff with Time Loop that I haven't seen as much before. I do not know anything about Kara and Lena, but I really enjoyed getting to know their dynamic through this fic. Um, especially like right off the bat, as I kind of chimed in and mentioned, uh, Lena does not know that Kara is Supergirl, and I am such a sucker for the like identity porn trope. Um, and I think especially when it's this kind of a format, when you're in Lena's POV, but she doesn't know the loops keep resetting and whatnot, um, there's a lot of dramatic irony going on um, in a way that I think was really delightful and worked really, really well. Um, I also like the way the plot unraveled through the time loop. Um, like, this is not a huge spoiler. It happens, like, pretty early on. But, like, after the first loop where Lena dies, um, Kara obviously knows what's going on. And so she's like, okay. She, like, gets Lena out, gets her to safety, like, gives her to a bodyguard. And she's like, watch over Lena. I'm going to go, like, deal with some stuff. Um, and then the bodyguard ends up being evil. Uh, kills the other bodyguard, kills Lena. And it's like, oh, like, it really caught me, like, off guard. I was like, oh, my God. And so it ends up being a super, super intricate plot. Um Every time that Kara thinks she has uncovered a little bit more of what's going on, she has, and also, like, tip of the iceberg. It goes so much deeper. And so I thought the use of the time loop um, to sort of further that plot was really clever. Uh, the way that that information got doled out was very fun. Um, yeah, I liked this. And I, I think it is always nice to approach a fic where none of us have canon knowledge, but it is still quite readable. Yeah, I think what Reed was saying about, like, the intricacies of the plot, both the actual plot of the fic and this also the plot against Lena's life in the fic um, was really interesting to me because the fic sort of has this combination feeling, at least for me when I first read it, of both this unraveling of this complex like plan that they have against her. But there's also this feeling of like almost like the universe working to make sure that this will always happen. Um, like, I know Reed's usually the one who talks about video games on this book, <laughs> and I do not. Are you and stealing also, my corner? <gasps> I'm not stealing your corner because I don't have a direct reference. Brenna's but like video game corner. <laughs> no! <laughs> also, Nick always accuses me of not being a gamer. Um, <laughs> well, are you a gamer, Brenna? Not really, but also no. neither are you. So I never said I was. You've said many times, actually. I'm kind of a gamer. <laughs> well, anyway, Brenna... Um, <laughs> Anyway, there is an element to the repetition of these loops and that you as a reader knew that Kara was trying to foil them each time with the knowledge that she had gained in the previous loop. That reminded me of like playing a video game where like you can't solve it on your first try, like whatever. The Elsinore. Sort of... Sure. Hades game. Like, sure. <laughs> like, any, I don't know, like games. But just like that feeling of when you need to have played something through a few times to have all the pieces to successfully beat like a level or a mission or like whatever it is really reminded me of this fic because there was no way that Kara was ever going to be able to do it on a first try. She had to live through so many of these to be able to accumulate the knowledge to actually figure out what was going on, which I just thought was really interesting that there wasn't ever a possibility of her having fixed it initially um like it wasn't just one of these where oh if they had just admitted their feelings on the first try then none of this would have ever happened that's not 
an element of this fic at all. Like, there's also a big portion of it where you think, oh, once they, like, get together because Kara starts trying the strategy of, like, confessing to Lena in a multitude of ways, um, oh, that's going to fix it. It does not fix it. That wasn't the problem here. So, I don't know. I just like this. I like the fact that, like, there wasn't ever a way for Kara to have solved it originally um i think that adds a lot of like kind of emotional depth to what she's going through and just like and level of interest to like the time loops themselves for me i also do want to say sort of like on the track of like Kara needed all of these loops to figure things out um in a way that is sometimes sad and sometimes funny she does not spend every loop trying to figure stuff out she spends like the first i want to say like dozen like really committed to saving lena's life to figuring out like who is like creating all of these attacks blah 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 Then she gets a little bit dispirited, I think understandably. And because you're in Lena's POV, it's like every morning Lena wakes up to people being like either like, hey, Kara's acting really weird or like Supergirl is on TV doing something absolutely whack. Um, My favorite iteration is when Supergirl just picks up the entire Luther Corps building and chucks it into space. Yeah, Kara, why not? Um, But you also get like when Brenna was talking about the... Sort of like Car being like, okay, maybe the way I fix this is telling my feelings. Um, one of my absolute favorite scenes is when Lena wakes up at seven in the morning because Supergirl has basically like kicked in her window and she's like, "Do you think I'm hot?" And Lena's like, "Uh, he- hello, what?" And her internal like narrative is like, "I don't, I don't want to offend this like super strong alien who could like literally rip this building in half or shoot lasers from her eyes." But she's like, "No." uh no and supergirl's like great just had to know bye and i'm like cara what is this what is this doing how is this helping anything but it is very funny yeah one thing i did want to note about this fic and i don't think it was intentional on the author's part really um but it did stand out to me as i was reading and i was really curious to see how it would resolve is that one major part of this fic is that every day every wednesday as lena walks to go do her speech and um she thinks about how on other days too every day when she's walking to work or whatever she passes by this street corner and there's this woman on it who they at first thought she might have been homeless but then it turned out she lived nearby she just sat on the corner with her ever-changing signs and lena gives her a hundred dollars every day and is like good luck basically and like is trying to get her health support and stuff um when i first read that it, it was very like Here's the shorthand for how my rich character is a good person, basically. Um, But I was curious to see how it was going to resolve for a few reasons. And one of them was because this woman has these signs that change every single day that are... The implication is that other people, not necessarily Lena, but other people, her bodyguards, folks on the street, are assuming that this woman is experiencing some kind of a delusion or is writing things on these signs in that way. And I just wanted to make a, I guess, flag it that there's this intersection of stigma around homelessness and delusional disorders, schizophrenia, psychotic episodes, all of that stuff um, that I think could have gone in a really uncomfortable direction. Um, It ended up totally different from what I was expecting. Uh, You get the sense that this woman does know what's going on based on the content of her signs pretty early on. It takes Lena and Kara and co. a lot longer to get there um, and to figure it out. But it turns out this woman isn't even from Earth, and there are a lot of other contextual factors that I think made it a little bit easier for me to roll with it narratively. That was just something I wanted to note that stood out to me, though. Um, Not necessarily just in this fic or with this author, but as a general pattern across media and potentially a pattern in the show as well. I don't know. I haven't seen it as none of us have. 
Yeah, I'm glad that you know that, Nick, because I think it was definitely something that I was keeping my eye on throughout this fic, because I did find that initial scene quite uncomfortable as well, um, and was curious to see how it would play out. It took turns with that character that I did not see coming, and I think, you know, while that initial presentation of the character was still uncomfortable, I thought I did some interesting things towards the end with her and gave her a lot more agency than I had feared, Um because towards the end, we learn that she's also an alien, um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that her communication with the people of Earth, like namely Lena, isn't too hot, because um, she like doesn't really know English, and it's kind of communicating through this boy who seems to know both languages to a certain extent. I will admit I did get a little bit lost during some of the plot aspects of this fic. I think partially because I was missing a lot of canon stuff that might have helped me fill in who some people were and like their relationships and like the alien human tensions of this universe and things like that. Um, So I was missing some of that that did kind of get me a little bit turned around as the plot really develops in the like last third of this. Um, But this character ends up being very central to what's actually happening in the time loops and like why they're happening. So I did appreciate that on the author's part and thought it was like a worthwhile direction to have taken and led to something that I thought was really interesting in terms of how the time loops actually resolved and like who was kind of responsible for them. And the fact that it wasn't just an issue of like Lena and Kara in this. Kara. Jeez. (laughs) Can I get into that a little bit? Can I spoil the ending? Um, If you must. Because I also was thinking about what you were just saying about video games, actually, and I will loop back to that. But um, <laughs> loop, good one, Reed. Oh, thanks. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So basically, we find out that this woman who is an alien has a device that can reset a day. Like you can go back twenty four hours. Um, and as Brenna said, the plot is pretty complicated. I'm not sure I have this a hundred percent right, but um, in addition to like the terrorist attacks that are happening against Lena and like Lena dying, um, the woman's building burns down every single day um and so her her first impetus for resetting the day is because she's trying to prevent that um she also with with this device has the ability to like let one other person remember the day um and she knows who kara is she knows that kara is supergirl and so when she resets every day that is why kara is the only person apart from this woman who remembers and like why lena doesn't no one else does um so on the spoilers second to last loop uh they finally sort of uncover like all of the weeds of this organization that's been doing these attacks like they manage to like finally stop like every single output um but in the process Kara's secret identity gets revealed and it's like pretty upsetting she's sitting there and she's like no like this is good this is fine like I can be supergirl all the time and it's it's better this way it's more helpful than what I'm doing right now um she's like I don't I don't need to be Kara Danvers anymore um, and Lena is thinking, like, Cara Danvers is my favorite person in the whole world. Like, this is horrible. And so as things are resolving, the old woman is like, okay, I'm taking myself and my son and this boy. I'm, like, getting out of here. I'm going to leave this device with you, but it is, like, basically broken. So it only has one reset left in it. Save it for an apocalypse situation. And Lena goes, fuck that. Uh, and, like, basically reaches over to slap it. And Cara's like, what are you doing? And Lena's like, you deserve, like, I know you can do this. You can fix it and you deserve to get to keep your secret. Um, And I was thinking about, Brenna, as you were talking about how Kara had to have gone through all of these loops to get it right. Um, In Undertale, actually, you can technically beat the game on your first try. 
Um, or like Undertale you're, you're... always comes back <laughs> with Reese. <laughs> on your like on your like first and a half try, kind of. You can technically beat the game, but you get the implication that um, you could do it better. You could find an ending where everyone is happy if you go and do it again. Um, and it hits so fucking hard, or at least it did for me when I played it. Um, and it was it was that same feeling here where it was like. Technically, they've done it. Like, Lena's alive. They figured out the organization. It's fine, but it's not good enough. But it's not perfect. Not everyone is happy. And critically for Lena, Kara is not happy. Um, And I just, I loved that choice to be like, no, we have one more chance and we're going to take it. Yes. I love the the determination around we don't have to settle for this. (laughs) Undertale reference. Good job, Nick. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, I love Sans Undertale. And the, and the, and the, the mom. The, the hippo mom the rhino what is it elephant <laughs> no and goat, goat and her name is toriel becomes evil flowey the flower toriel who yes. is a goat not a rhino yes. uh-huh. or a hippo sorry or a goat <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> nick and i are so well versed in undertale it's and video really games amazing. in general Completely. anyway keep going nick yeah yes oh yeah i was just gonna say i loved the big romance of that at the end and like romantic in a women in love kind of a way and also romantic in like a greater not to get i don't think it's romanticism in this case not to go back there i think it's just like romantic in in a in, in a worldview kind of a way that things don't have to be bad that things actually can be as good as they possibly can be if we just keep pushing for that and if we hope for it and if we work hard it's not like naive or overly idealistic it's just determination that the best is possible and I really liked that and I feel like that probably aligns maybe we're, we're hypothesizing now aligns well with the ideology of the show maybe seems like a very superhero franchise kind of a way to look at things I feel like even if it doesn't align necessarily with the over with like the viewpoint of the full show it probably aligns with like the viewpoints of some of our main characters yeah um I mean I'm kind of yeah again can't say that for sure, but that would make sense to me. Yeah. You're telling me Supergirl would be like, ah, well, <laughs> you can't win them all. <laughs> right, exactly. It makes sense for what little I know about her character to have a, a viewpoint like that. So one thing that I mentioned earlier, and I think Reed alluded to a bit as well, is that there's a period in the middle of this story where Kara is having what you could probably consider like a nervous break <laughs> in some capacity. She's really struggling. She doesn't know what to do. Um, she does some erratic behavior, basically. Um, and part of it is, I think, just the emotional overwhelm and load of helplessness that she's dealing with, thinking that she's the only person in the world going through this and that nothing she does is good enough. Like, who would not be struggling in that case? Uh, and some of it is, I think, sort of these strange attempts to fix things. At one point, she takes the building that Lena was going to be giving her speech in and throws it into space. Yes. It's like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. that would do it. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't. There's a lot of other moving parts to this, as we've mentioned. Um, early on in the story, she removes or successfully diffuses with the help of security the first bomb that goes off. And later they find out that there's a total of 38 around the city. So that doesn't really work. Um, and I think just the the stress of it all really gets to Kara um, in ways that are sad, obviously. But like I said earlier, there's room for it to still be lighthearted because we're in Lena's POV and Lena's like, she gets all this news over and over every single day about what Supergirl's up to. She doesn't know Supergirl is Kara. And so she is getting this news from people who are texting her. And she's like, what? 
like, okay, I guess. I have no idea why Supergirl is behaving this way. And one section that I screenshotted and sent to my co-hosts as I was reading, because I thought it was extremely funny, uh, was there's a text from Sam Arias, or Arias, I don't know who this is, at 6.45 a.m. that says, Turn on your TV, I am screaming, in all caps. And then the fic reads, Lena clicks on the news to see a large, only partially censored video of Supergirl in the middle of some city highway, completely naked and dancing. And I was like, you know what? Good for her, honestly. <laughs> like, if you're gonna really feel completely overwhelmed and helpless about a situation, that's not that bad of a way to cope, I don't think. <laughs> like, you know, might as well. It's all gonna reset tomorrow anyway. But that really... It made me laugh, and I appreciated that this fic was able and willing to go to places that were humorous, even in really, really tough emotional moments for uh, a non-POV character. So I liked that. And I think Kara loves all the girls. Is that the name of the author? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, Kara loves all the girls. Thank you for making the decision that you did to structure this fic the way that it's structured, because I think it was super effective for that reason and others that we've already mentioned. Yes, so that's our discussion of Lena Dies on a Wednesday, a very fun and interesting Supergirl time loop fic, a canon that we know nothing about, any of us, but I think we all uh, found our footing in this fic fairly comfortably, and I would definitely recommend it regardless of whether or not you enjoyed the show or have watched the show. Um, I mean, I guess if you hated the show, maybe don't read this fic. (laughs) I don't know. Um, But yeah, I think this did a lot of really interesting stuff with time loops. Uh, So if you enjoy that trope as well, I think it's definitely one to check out uh, and kind of broaden your horizons there. So in this fic, you as the reader are very aware of something going on, i.e. the time loop that the characters don't know about. In the next fic, you, the reader, are very unaware of something that the majority of the characters do know is happening and is a big plot point. (laughs) So the fic that I selected for my friend and co-host, Reed, is called Sleeping in the Shadow of an Other Self, that's and space other self, uh, by AO3 user Nonwall. And it is a fic for Critical Role Campaign 2. The pairing is Essex slash Caleb. The Mighty Nine is around. One of the relationships listed is the Mighty Nine and Essex, which I think is very accurate. And the main characters are Essex, Caleb, and the Mighty Nine. So everyone's around. They're doing their thing. It's canon divergent. Um, I'm going to go ahead and read the summary, actually, because I feel like it is a baller summary. And as you all know, I am very partial to those. And then I will explain a little bit more about what's actually going on in this fic and give you some content warnings. So the summary is, Essek has a moment to consider that gravity-based trust exercises have never worked for him, and then the spell hits. He leans back into it, falls, falls. In which Essek is resurrected by the Mighty Nine and framed for innocence. Wow. So I read that, and I was like, I gotta get in here. Um, I was pretty sure I wanted to recommend read a fic for Essek slash Caleb. Read is a fan of this pairing. I don't really know about Essex. <laughs> I watched a lot of episodes of Campaign 2 and almost none of them contained Essex. <laughs> so I was doing my best, just sort of casually perusing the tags, sorting by bookmarks, trying to guess first if I thought Reed would have read the fic based on the posting date. And then also on this one, I went, I scrolled all the way down to the bottom and kept hitting the like, and more and more and more and more on the kudos list. And then I command F to see if Reed had left kudos. Reed had not. Um, So I was like, you know what? 
if Reed has read this and didn't leave kudos, like that's actually on them. I'm not going to feel bad if I recommend something they've read if they didn't even leave kudos. That's rude. So um, yes, I ended up choosing this fic. It is 32,800 words over 10 chapters. Um, It was published over about six months. Um, I did say in the last outro for the last episode that it was completed this year. That was a lie. It was last year. I can't read. But you know, it's okay. (laughs) I still think that it was really solid. As somebody who knows a good amount about Campaign 2 and also lived with Reed while they were watching Campaign 2 somewhat regularly, I did feel pretty equipped to read this and know what was happening. Um, Brenna, we we did our best to drag her along with us. Uh, Thank you, Reed, for doing that. Yes, this fic definitely does a lot of work with the canon. It does work with the items that characters have. It references events. It references political like machinations and dynamics that are happening. There's, It's very, very, very rooted in the canon, which I thought would be good for Reed. So was excited to be able to discuss it in that capacity. As for content warnings, I'm going to mostly just be reading off um, the additional tags that the author used because I think they cover them pretty well. So the ones that are related to content warnings are memory alteration, implied slash referenced torture, resurrection, separation anxiety, off-screen grave robbery, (laughs) I probably didn't need to say that one, FYI, um, and morality crisis speedrun edition. To that, I would add uh, referenced execution of a character. Uh, That character is then resurrected. Uh, Spoilers, it's Essek. He's rest- that's how the fix starts, so you're not missing anything. Um, but just FYI that that does happen. He's held in captivity before he's executed. These things are referenced, but we don't really see them explicitly on screen for very long at all. Yeah, I think that is going to cover most of it. The fic is really about Essek being resurrected after he was executed and uh, working with the Mighty Nine to develop a plan that will help him prove his innocence, exonerate him, and allow him to live freely uh, after being brought back to life. Okay. Hey, Reed, what did you think? Also, tell us about the politics. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing. Um, I loved this fic. I had not read it before. Now I have. So now I have loved kudos. So if you had control F <laughs> at this point, you would see my name, but it'd be very, very okay, recent. Um, I love the Mighty Nine so, so goddamn much. And I do love these wizards. And like right before recording, I did go back and watch some canon moments with Caleb and Essek that made me fucking gourdless. I can't wait to <laughs> recite an entire Liam O'Brien monologue to you later. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Can't wait. I will. Oh, God. I'm sorry. Ficklets are just going to hear me talking so much this episode, giving you canon recaps. But uh, here we are. I'll do my best to speed run what you need to know of canon for this fic and for our discussion. Basically, when the campaign starts, there are two places of note. The Empire, which is where uh, our characters start their campaign, and the Kreen Dynasty, uh, who have had boiling tensions for a very long time. Um, and then pretty shortly after the campaign starts, uh, an official war breaks out. You find out much later that sort of the breaking point for the war starting is that the Empire stole two beacons from the dynasty. Uh, beacons are these objects um, for the dynasty of great, great religious and cultural significance. The Empire has stolen these, allegedly. Uh, The Mighty Nine have a beacon that they keep in their backpack for, like, 60 episodes, and they're like, oh my god, we just thought this was a cool thing. We didn't realize we kept a god in our backpack. That's fun. Um, Whoops. That awkward moment when you have a god in your bag. Yeah. Happens to the best of us. My bad. 
Um, yes. So throughout their travels, the Mighty Nine basically would like to end the war. Uh, they're not particularly for either side, even though some characters have some pretty strong allegiances to the Empire, but they're like, the war is bad, and it's infected a lot of people. They go to the dynasty, they give back the beacon that they've been carrying, um, and in it they meet Essek, who is, like, one of the right-hand men to the Bright Queen, who rules the dynasty. Uh, and he doesn't walk, he floats. He floats. He floats everywhere. Um, he's a drow wizard. Um... I love him. Okay, anyway, he's very, like, cold and reserved, and the Mighty Nine, in the way that they do, strong-arm their way into being his friend and, like, forcing him to care about them. Uh, And then they find out much later that uh, Essek is a traitor and a war criminal. Um, When you do musical interludes. (laughs) Um, Yes, Essek is the one who gave the Empire the beacons, and he did so because he wanted to study them for magic purposes, and nobody in the dynasty wanted to do that because they're like, this is a holy thing. And he's like, but there's so much knowledge. Um, Essek is neutral evil, and he wants just knowledge and to know more about spells, basically. In doing so, he aligns himself with the Assembly, who are a group of very powerful people in the Empire who suck. We hate them. They've done horrible things to Caleb. Boo. The Assembly. Um, yeah. (laughs) Essek gets himself into a place where he's basically like, the Assembly wants to kill me because I know too much. And the Dynasty suspects that there's a traitor. And they're probably going to find out it's me. Uh Uh-oh. And where this fic goes is that it, um, the Dynasty did discover that Essek was a traitor. And that is why they execute him. Sorry, that was kind of long, but is all important. (laughs) I learned some things just listening to that. I didn't know his motivations. Thank you. He's just a nerd. Yeah. No, that'll be very Evil important nerd. when I get into the Liam O'Brien monologue later. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I'm uh-huh. really looking forward to it. I'm... Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I do want to note about this fic is that... Um, so I started reading it. I was like, vibing, great. Um, and then it makes a decision for Essex that I was like, hmm... This, like, directly goes against sort of some of his canon stuff. And I, like, wasn't totally sure how I felt about it. Because, like, one of the things that makes me love Essex so much is that he is neutral evil. Like, he is a war criminal. And the Mighty Nine find redemption in him anyway. I have a lot of emotions about it. Whatever. I get to the end of chapter two. And this author left a note that basically said, hey, if you're, like, not certain about continuing the fic, which I would totally understand, you can skip to chapter eight. And it will spoil a major plot twist, but it won't really spoil what happens between these chapters. Um... If I had just been reading this fic, if I came across it organically, I would not have skipped. I would have read the fic as the author had written it in order. Um, But I thought it might be kind of fun for the podcast for our discussion to do so. I was like, listen, if the author is giving me express permission, I might as well. Um, I ended up loving that choice. The author had said in their notes um, that the fic is meant to be really enjoyable on a reread. And I totally see why. Because I read some stuff in chapter eight. And I was like, yeah, I fucking cannot wait to see how this comes up later. And everything felt so good and satisfying. Um, I think I would have also really liked this fic if I had read it in order, but I will say that I did follow that author's note and found it delightful. Yeah, I had a really good time with this fic. I am the least familiar out of the three of us with Campaign 2. I did watch the first, like, solid chunk of it, maybe, like, first third-ish, and then like, kind of stayed up to date, like, at least through, like, the first half, um, and then I really fell off the wagon with it like I just couldn't keep up with the amount of content um even like seeing recaps and stuff I was like I don't know what's happening literally the last episode I think I actually like watched any of was like the first episode where Essex shows up so my context for him is very limited um 
that being said, I have heard about him via both fandom and read. Uh, and <laughs> I've been curious about this ship. Like, I always really liked Caleb as a character. So I was, like, intrigued when a ship featuring him, like, came into such prominence amongst, like, what I was seeing on my various timelines. Um, but I had never, like, read any fic for it. And, like, I, again, I don't really know Essek as a character. Um but this was really fun. I had a good time. I just read it straight through. I did not skip to chapter eight like Reed did. Um, I knew that they had done that because they told me while they were reading it. <laughs> um, but I was like, okay, well, I'll see how I feel at the end of chapter two. And I wasn't feeling like negatively about the fic. I think probably because I didn't know anything about Essek or like his character choices. So the things that it wrote in in chapter two, I didn't find jarring. Um, so I didn't feel a need to like see what else was going on. So I just read it straight through. I really enjoyed that choice for myself, I think. Um, yeah, there were a few places I did get a little bit lost. Um, not because of like a bad explanation from my fellow hosts about like Essek or anything, but I think just like there's some things I didn't remember about the campaign. Like it was like littler stuff that I think would have helped me have some realizations about like what was going on either a little bit sooner or a little bit more fully. Um, the big sort of reveal, I, I didn't have so much of like an oh moment because I had to go and like reread what was going on a little bit, <laughs> which is just like kind of my own clownery and like not. <laughs> I also was like reading this at the very end of my work day and like admittedly not top brain function moment for me. Um, but yeah, I think overall I really liked it. I think for me, because I'm not as familiar with like the plot elements, um, the stuff that really stood out to me was the character work and like some of the conversations between members of the Mighty Nine. Um, and then also, I just thought it did a really good job interweaving D and D play stuff with a more like narrative style. Um, so I definitely want to get into that. There were a few things in particular that really stood out to me there that I really enjoyed as someone who plays a lot of D and D. But yeah, I had a good time. Like again, I. Didn't really have, like, a solid footing, I felt like, in this. That was okay. I didn't feel, like, lost throughout most of it. I just think, like, if you do have knowledge of canon, particularly, like, later on canon, it will make parts of this, like, either hit a little bit harder or maybe be a little bit easier to follow. Can I spoil the plot twist so that we can, like, yes. talk about yes. the fic in its entirety? Yes, yes, okay, yes. Okay, I'm going to. Okay, so ficlets, if, like me, you read this fic in order then you would have a different experience from Reed, probably. Um, I'm going to say now, if you're interested in reading this, you got you got to stop listening. You got to go read you got to go read the fic because we are going to absolutely blast this thing with spoilers. What is this thing? The podcast, I guess. <laughs> the discussion. I liked watching you sort of halfway through not really love the metaphor. You kept going, though. No, I was thinking of like a um, a pressure washer or something. <laughs> and I was like, that's not anything. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be spoiling it. Um, so, like Reed said, chapter two and chapter eight are the primary chapters that have to do with the central plot twist of this fic. So, chapter two is entitled, Ten Gold Says You Don't Suspect a Thing. So, through all ten chapters are titled with something that is said in the chapter, or like a line from the chapter, except for this one. This one is kind of random. It's only chapter two. I didn't think much of it, honestly. I was like, yeah, people title chapters weird things, I guess, or maybe it'll be like a fun reference later. It was, but not in the way that I thought. So in chapter two, Essek 
is talking to the Mighty Nine. They're concocting their plan. And the plan that the Mighty Nine come up with is they're like, hey, we are going to do a greater restoration on you, which is a spell in D&D that heals or fixes or like lifts a curse or ends some kind of a negative effect on you. We're going to do a greater restoration on you. And if your memory was messed with, because we know that Trent Ikathon, evil abuser from Caleb's past, used to mess with people's memories, maybe you didn't actually give the beacon up as a traitor. Maybe you're not even a traitor. Essek, maybe you were executed for nothing. And he's like, that seems unlikely. I'm pretty sure I'm a traitor, but sure, I'll go with it. Yeah, why not? Um, So he goes with it and they do the greater restoration and he learns through that that he actually had changed his mind and that he had decided that he wasn't going to be a traitor. And actually everything else that happened was out of his control. He couldn't help it. It wasn't his fault. There's a lot of other pieces to that, but that is the skeleton of that chapter where he realizes and he goes, wow. So he spends the next six chapters basically having a morality crisis saying, oh my God, I thought I was evil, but maybe I'm not. I changed my mind. What made me change my mind? What does that say about me as a person? What does it say about me that I didn't think that it was possible that I had changed my mind, that I just assumed that the memory, the false memory that was implanted was true? He goes through a lot of this. He talks to many members of the Mighty Nine. He struggles to sleep at night. He ventures with Caleb so he can sleep at night. It's very romantic. He overhears them talking about him. He disguises himself so that he can go out and be in the world. He's free in some ways, and he's free from the burden of knowing that he did this really, really terrible, evil thing. Uh, And then chapter eight rolls around. (laughs) Yeah, so uh, you may recall Reed being like, I love that Essek is evil. I was surprised in chapter two that he wasn't a traitor because that didn't really make sense. Um, as someone who doesn't really know Essek, I was totally hook, line, and sinker going with it. I was like, oh my god, his memories. That's so sad. What a cool choice by the author. Good luck out there, Essek. Chapter eight. After Essek has successfully pleaded his case in a zone of truth, which is a spell where you can't lie, to the queen of the Kreen dynasty, to all of the people in the court saying, I'm not a traitor. I didn't do it. This is what happened. Uh, Like emotional. His voice is breaking. He's finally believing it himself that maybe he's a better person than he thought he was. After they succeed, he's exonerated. Um, well, sort of, the Bright Queen is like, hey, Mighty Nine, this is your responsibility now. <laughs> if anything happens with Essek, that's on you. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. Um, they go back to their house. And it's explained to Essek that the actual plan is not what he thought it was. And I was like, oh, pardon me. And I put the pieces together maybe three to five minutes before I got to that part in the fic where it finally revealed it. And I was like, what? Just, you know, just yelling, doing my thing, plot twists. We love it. Um, which it turns out that Trent Ikathon was not the one who modified uh, Essex memories. It was the Mighty Nine themselves who modified his memory to believe that the greater restoration occurred to plant the false memory that the false memory was being lifted, if that makes sense. (laughs) The entire thing was a total ruse to make Essex firmly believe in his heart of hearts that he's not a traitor so that he could say that in front of the Bright Queen under a zone of truth and not get caught out because he believes it to be true. So... Holy cow. Um, that that chapter was the moment I was like, 100%, I'm bringing this to the podcast. Um, at that point, I wasn't even thinking about Reed anymore. Sorry, Reed. <laughs> I was like, we have to discuss this. <laughs> 
I have so much to say about it because I think it was so smart. It was so smart. Within the fic, I, I wasn't suspecting it. I knew there was something going on because you get kind of a hint of like, hmm, but a lot of it was just that Essek is very unsettled. He's questioning himself. He's wondering about things. And his entire morality crisis and philosophizing and conversations and coming to terms with things all gets undone in the span of a single actual greater restoration that's done on him, where he finally realizes everything that happened. We get a full play-by-play -play of that long scene in chapter two with the actual events that occurred. And things start to make sense about some of the other characters' reactions, about Essex's own reactions to things, his surprise. Oh, wow. And I just completely obsessed. There's so much else to talk about with this fic, uh, and I'm sure we will, but I wanted to get this out of the way and really tell you all this is what happens because I think everything else that happens in the fic is colored by this central twist. So I have two things going off of that. Uh, one is, yes, Nick totally absolutely like Essek is grappling with his morality and he's like, maybe I'm not a traitor. But a big thing for him, and even when he's in that zone of truth with the Bright Queen, is he's like, no, I didn't give up the beacons, but every single thing I did after was still of my own volition. Like, everything I did afterwards is still while I was operating under the impression that I was a traitor. And, like, that hasn't changed this, like, fundamental thing about, like, my past or whatever. Um, which I do like, because I think I think if his whole morality crisis was like, oh, I didn't mean to be a traitor, and therefore I'm fine. Like, that would not have <laughs> right. landed. But it is, like... Well, I, apparently I changed my mind on this big decision, but I still acted in all of these other horrible ways afterwards and so like what does that mean about me and whatever so i just wanted to say that um also obviously i skipped to chapter eight so i got to that plot twist way quicker but my first inkling that something was i was like is this like a is this the reference i think it is and then it was uh so i didn't i didn't say this in my recap but now i'm going to give you some more campaign to recap <laughs> one of the most iconic moments in my opinion uh when the campaign starts, one of the characters who sometimes goes by Not and then later goes by Veth, she is primarily Veth in this fic. I think she's only Veth in this fic. Anyway, she starts out as a goblin. You find out that she wasn't born a goblin. She was born a halfling. Some goblins cursed her. And it's like a whole big thing to try to restore her to her like true form. Um, and even though Essek and Caleb actually construct the spell to turn Veth back, it doesn't work because she's been cursed by a hag and the hag's magic is very powerful. So they go to visit this hag to basically be like, can you let our friend be a halfling again, please? Um, and the hag is like, great, I feed off of misery. So if you want me to turn your friend back or to undo my curse so that you can turn her back, you have to give me something that will make you miserable. There's a lot that goes on there, a lot of emotions. Then Jester comes in, who is a little tiefling, who is very mischievous. And the hag is like, if you give me your hands, uh, I'll undo the curse. And Jester's like, that sucks. I'd really like to keep my hands but okay she's like why don't you just split a cupcake with me my last act of having hands i'm gonna split a cupcake uh jester secretly sprinkles some stuff on the cupcake that makes the hag more susceptible to mind stuff um and in a absolutely unlikely twist manages to modify the hag's memory to think that the hag was just like i had so such a good time with you jester that i will just lift your friend's curse for free it's a whole big thing um Right before, in chapter two, right before Jester supposedly casts Greater Restoration, she keeps, like, insisting that Essek eat this Black Moss cupcake, and she talks about, like, the dust on it, and I was like, this is the same as the hag. This is the same as the hag, but then I was like, I guess it's not. I guess a Greater Restoration. Um, <laughs> and it was exactly that. It was the it was that played out again, and I loved it. I loved that sort of hint that you could put things together starting in chapter two that, like, really did come full circle in chapter eight. It was so satisfying. 
One thing I'd really like to discuss with this fic that I mentioned a little bit earlier was how it interweaves like D&D gameplay with sort of narrative. And I found this interesting in like all of the Critical Role or like other D&D based fic that I've read and like the other ones that we've discussed on the pod as well. But I think it's just really fascinating to see the approaches that different authors take and like what really shines in their fic for me. And two things that I really enjoyed in this one were how the combat was handled. I thought it was really effective. There isn't a whole lot of it in this fic because I think the author wanted to focus a little bit more on like the character stuff rather than the plot stuff. I mean, they say this themselves kind of in like the notes. So I'm not just putting words in their mouth, but uh, the combat that does exist goes by pretty quickly. But Honestly, that's realistic to how D&D is supposed to be. Like, yes, people sitting down and playing it, the combat can take hours, multiple sessions, but, like, each person's turn is six seconds in game time. So, like, I've seen some things where people have added up how long, like, really long battles would take for, like, Crit Roll and, like, other podcasts like that or, like, Let's Plays, and it's, like, not that long, yeah. <laughs> even though they've spent hours on it. And, I mean, like, I can say that as, like, someone who's played a lot of D&D as well. Like, you know, you'll be in combat for a really long time, and then if you add it up, you're like, well, that was, like, a couple minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought the way that it was written was really interesting and just very effective for me. It didn't feel clunky at all. It felt very fast-paced. It didn't feel too much, like, here's one person doing one thing and then one person doing one thing and then one person doing one thing, which, like, is kind of what it feels like as a player because everyone has to take turns. But... In reality, a lot of these things are supposed to be happening relatively simultaneously. So I thought the way the combat was written just stood out to me as something that was very, just stood out to me as like a very effective translation of gameplay into narrative. Um, another thing that like really stood out to me in my brain, especially because like I usually play like magic users or like casters in D&D was sort of Essex deal with like casting after he's resurrected he's a wizard so he needs to like learn spells and like relies on like a spell book to kind of like have those um it doesn't like come innately like with some other caster classes in DD. um if you're a wizard so it's it's much more like knowledge and learning based so when he comes back he has the ability to do magic he can do some like cantrips he casts pres he casts prestidigitation i can't speak um but, like, he doesn't know his spells. Like, he doesn't have his spell book anymore. So the way that that was handled and him, like, learning new or different spells or, like, what the Mighty Nine could teach him or, like, him and Caleb kind of recreating spells that Essek used to know was all really interesting. And there's a scene somewhere towards, like, the middle end, I don't remember where, that even kind of makes reference to Essek trying to, like, think through the different spells that he has now compared to like what he used to have and like what he would have used prior. And I just thought that that was really clever. And that was just something that really stood out to me as someone who's familiar with D&D as an effective like tie in. And yeah, just translation of the gameplay into narrative. I think that can be a hard thing to do because like it's kind of clunky sometimes like how you play D&D. And there's all these things that don't make sense for someone to actually do in their lives so i'm always impressed by how authors decide to translate that um i'm gonna talk about essek and caleb now uh, because i love them and also because this fic is tagged for it and i think it is worth discussing actually like a, a week or so ago completely unrelated to this uh friend of the pod cassie and i were talking about the mighty nine um, the Mighty Nine, as an adventuring group, are fundamentally a group of assholes who, like, really only care about themselves. But themselves is sort of like them and the people that they put their trust in. And for them, it's very much like 
when they give their loyalty to someone, it is intense and unwavering. Um, a fun, the Mighty Nine is spelled N-E-I-N. There's seven core people, and by the end, there ends up being sort of like nine of them. It just works out narratively really well, and wow. one of those nine is Essek. Ah! Congrats, Essek. Um, yeah. One of the things that makes me fucking gourdless about Essek and Caleb is that they are narrative foils. They're mirrors of one another, um, not just because they are little wizard boys, but when Caleb starts in the campaign, like he has a very single-minded focus for something he wants to achieve. It is like very difficult, like magic that doesn't really exist um, for a pretty selfish purpose that like might have some pretty big ramifications and he doesn't really care. He's like so single-minded in this goal um, and also like really upset and alone and lots of other things. And the Mighty Nine take him in and show him love and like care about him and get him in turn to care about them and all this kind of thing. Um, and Essek, in a lot of ways, like the, the path that Essek takes is one that Caleb very easily could have if he hadn't encountered the Mighty Nine. Um, and so what I watched earlier today, just before recording, is the scene where the Mighty Nine find out that Essek is the traitor. Um, they eavesdrop on a conversation between him and an assembly member. And the assembly member is like, I'm surprised to see such affection from you. Like you, you were previously so cold. And he's like, yeah, I'm surprised too. Maybe you should try having friends sometime. And I was like, ah, um, uh, basically, Essek is in disguise. They find out that he's in disguise. They, like, track him down. They're like, we need to have a conversation with you. And they're like, what the hell is this all about? Like, we trusted you. You were our friend. Like, what is this? And that's where he goes into his, I'm in the pursuit of knowledge and nobody in the dynasty was going to give it to me. So I took the beacons to the assembly so that I could get knowledge. And then Caleb says this. I'm not going to be as dramatic as Liam O'Brien. I'm going to try to speed through it because it was, it was a very long thing. But he says this to Essek. You listen to me. I know what you are talking about. I know. The difference between you and I is thinner than a razor. I know what it means to have other people complicate your desires and wishes. And I was like you. Was. I know what a fool I've been for years, and I'm looking at him as though I'm looking in a mirror. You didn't account for us? Good. That is life. Shit hits you sideways, and no one is prepared, and no one is ready. These people changed me. These people can change you. You were not born with venom in your veins. You learned it. You learned it. You have a rare opportunity here, Thalys. One chance to save yourself. And we are offering, and I am pleading with you to find your better self. He is still there. What the fuck, Liam? Ooh, what the wow. fuck? Wow. And then Essek goes, there is no path to redemption for me. If what has been done comes to light, if what, are you, if what you are seemingly looking to correct is known, then I am a dead man. And then Caleb leans in and kisses Essek in the center of his forehead and says, maybe you and I are both damned but we can choose to do something about it and leave it better than it was before. <sighs> Fucking gourdless. But yeah. apart from that just being an incredibly impactful emotional scene that should make you ship shadow guest if you don't already, um, I bring it up because it was, I really liked rewatching that in the context of this fic. Like that line that Essek has, like, there is no path to redemption for me. And if you guys try to redeem me, all you're doing is like putting yourself at risk. Like I'm a dead man. Like, yeah, that plays into everything that this author was talking about. Like so much of Essex morality crisis also like revolves around like, why are the mighty nine doing this for me? Like I've done so many horrible things. Like I, even if I didn't mean to give up the beacons, I still was a traitor in all these other ways, both to my own dynasty and to the only people who have ever shown me friendship or caring. Um, but it is just so wholly mighty nine to believe in redemption to to be so stubborn about saving Essek like mm -hmm. and, uh, and there's something that again in front of the podcast he had said um originally about um Percy and Caleb 
uh, which was that those characters were created with the intent that they could not be redeemed and were always set to have tragic endings because they're too far gone. But then these characters made genuine connections with other people and had friends who cared about them. And the players realized they actually can still have a happy ending. Uh, and Matt said something very similar about Essek. Like, Essek was not meant to be what he was. Um, and I think it's such a testament to the Mighty Nine that they were like, there is something better in you. And this fig encapsulated it so well, and I love the <laughs> Mighty Nine! And also, just AO3 user Nodval, thank you for all of the bros content, the, the Ford Bow content. I fucking love them, and all of their interactions were delightful. I also would read so much of your Yasha. She was so funny. She was not present that much in this fic for narrative reasons, but she is so funny and good. Yeah, I think, like, one thing I'd like to mention really quick, going off of what Reed was talking about, I don't know that much about Essek as a character again. I really had no experience with him in canon. But one scene that I really loved in this fic takes place at like the end of chapter six. And it's more actually a conversation between Caleb and Veth than Essek. But Essek overhears it all. And one, I just thought it was one of the best character moments for me, like in terms of feeling really realistic between like Caleb and Veth. Like I could see that really play out in my head. And I really liked their characters in this moment. But it also just, like, opened up some of the emotional side for me and made it a little bit more accessible, I think, as someone who, like, isn't that familiar with Essek but is more familiar with, like, the other members of the Mighty Nine. Um, And later on, I mean, like, once we have the big realization, we can also, like, add in this layer of meaning to, like, what Caleb and Veth are talking about that at the time of reading the scene initially I didn't know. (laughs) Um, But I think even without the knowledge of, like, what they've done to his memories, it's still very good um and like Veth is very much prompting Caleb to like admit kind of his feelings about Essek and Caleb's like well it's fucking complicated basically um but like you know that we care about him and and Veth is like I'm just worried about the situation and at that point we kind of just think that she's just worried about him on his own and not necessarily what they've done to his memories which we realize later but like I don't know. I just thought it was really good. And this last line from Caleb where he's like, I worry that we will ruin him, like knocked me out of the park. Like that was like the one part where I really was having feelings about this fic because, again, I don't have any canon context for like Shadowgast and didn't really know what to expect from like them as a pairing. But like that line, both in its initial reading where I was like, wow, Caleb's feelings about Essek. And then later on with the layer of knowledge of like, oh, what they've done to Essek. (laughs) really worked so well for me. I loved that part. I think it was like my favorite part of the whole fic. So I just wanted to give it a shout out. It's extremely good. The part that I wanted to give a shout out actually has a lot to do with what you were just saying, Brenna, about layers of meaning. Yeah. Um, Because, okay, I'm going to make this quick. While Essek was waiting to be executed, there was a little spider in a cell that he eventually recognized as Caleb's familiar, whose eyes Caleb can see through sometimes, and it helped him feel less alone. He tried not to look at it too much, because then maybe someone would come and squish it, which would be sad, but he felt comforted by that. So later on, uh, when Essek gets a new spellbook and starts learning stuff again, he does cast Find Familiar and gets his own little familiar that is a spider, and he gives it a name, and it is a name in, I believe, Undercommon or something. Um, and much, much later in the story, toward the very end, everyone's like, oh, that spider is your familiar. What's its name? And Essek is like, this is its name. And we, as the reader, get to learn that he basically named his spider Leggy, <laughs> which I am completely obsessed with. Honestly, the moment that endeared me the most to him in this fic. <laughs> I just loved it. I was like, okay, maybe I can stand Essek a little bit if he's going to name his spider Leggy. So just want to shout out Nanwal for that as well. 
And with that, I believe we're going to conclude our discussion of In the Shadow of an Other Self by AO3 user Nanwal. Really, really love this fic. All of us had more that we could say. Uh, so it's always fun to bring a fic that we have too much to say about, but also kind of tragic because we're still vibrating. <laughs> it's okay. We're here. Uh, if you want to tweet us about it, we can say more. Because uh, we have feelings, but really excited to have brought it. And I'm glad that my recipient, Reed, enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of FitClick. We really hoped you enjoyed it. And if you did, maybe you could let us know. You can reach out to us on any of our socials. We're on Twitter at FitClick, Tumblr at FitClick, uh, or you could email us at fitclickpod at gmail.com. Um, we also have a Discord server that we talk about every single episode. Um, the most direct way to get in contact with us, but also just a lovely, lovely fandom space to shriek about all of your feelings, um, including ones that maybe don't fit into... 30-ish minute segments on a podcast. Come join us there. You can find the link to that on our Twitter as well. We also have merchandise. Uh, If you are holiday shopping, get on it and buy some (laughs) merchandise stat or just buy it for yourself. Decorations for a New Year's party if you're interested. I think that could be pretty good actually. So you can check that out on our Twitter. It is the Redbubble linked there and it's going to be pretty good if you buy it. I'm just saying. Also, if you really like the show or if something about the show pisses you off or if you have a parasocial relationship with us, uh, you should totally leave us a review wherever you can, uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts, another podcatching app. If you just want to throw a review into the void or put it on a blog, wow, there's so many options. Uh, word of mouth is really how we grow. Uh, so we really appreciate folks spreading the word about FitClick and fandom. So our next episode will be coming out on December 24th. It is our last episode for this year. Uh, So we are doing our yearly wrap-up. Stay tuned to find out exactly what that's going to consist of. (laughs) Um, Since your hosts haven't fully planned it yet. but yeah, it should be a good time. We'll be talking about our year of Fick Click and our past year of, like, thick and fanish experiences um so yeah tune in for that and obviously then we will be back in the new year as well well thicklets i'm off to make gideon and harrow proud by being absolutely feral for the rest of the week see you later bye bye thicklets i'm off to go to bed and then wake up tomorrow which will be wednesday and hopefully i will only live one wednesday and then i'll be on to thursday (laughs) bye Hey, Ficklet, I'm off to ponder my morality and how good I am as a person based on limited information. See you next time. (laughs) Bye.